This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it and miss, thankfully it's over! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast, the 162nd edition, covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. The link to our Apple Podcast feed is right above your video window. You can click that, subscribe, leave some comments would be great, and all of our shows can be found right there. Red Sox are wrapping up, as we speak, a two-game set against the Philadelphia Phillies and potentially going to drop both games. I think they are in the ninth inning right now so looking like a sweep but we'll uh we'll know in a few minutes i am terry coachman and i'm joined as always by jeremy Schilling and liz churchville regular crew intact for this episode how are you guys all right indifferent (laughs) different yeah, it's kind of a weird, uh, you know, kind of a weird time of year, I guess, you know, where we're not competitive. But uh, I but, think this will be the first Boston team to not make the playoffs since probably since the, the last Red time Sox we did failed to make the playoffs. Um, Twenty fifteen, the year before they won three first place finishes. Yeah, so it's been. I, I want to say four seasons since one of the major four Boston sports teams didn't make the playoffs. So congratulations, 2019 is, Boston Red Sox. Isn't it weird how the Red Sox have, like, the highest peaks and the lowest valleys? Because, I mean, when was the last time the Celtics or the Bruins were that terrible, really, that they finished last? It's been a while, hasn't it? Like a long uh, while. The, la- the Patriots haven't finished last in 25 years. Uh, Celtics, it's been a real long time. Early in the Paul Pierce era. And then the Bruins. Oh, my God. It's been at least. It's been at least a decade with the Bruins, yeah. if not longer. I mean, I- they've had a couple seasons where they weren't good, but they weren't, you know, like last place I, and look you can't be in last place if the orioles are in your division but well, yeah, this true. feels like a just an utter disappointment considering the amount of talent and then fine we're not in last place but that team isn't is not trying to win right true Absolutely. and and 
you're so far out of first, despite the fact that we could we could quote unquote call it third place, it doesn't feel like third place. Yeah, and you know so, what I'm anyways. You know what I'm noticing too is I think the really bad teams at this point, you know, like the Orioles, the Tigers, and um, the Mariners, none of them are really trying to win. You know, so we need them to at least try in order to leapfrog. Not that that's realistic at this point anyway, but it just makes it that much bigger of a mountain to climb when those other teams have essentially packed it in. I mean, if you go back to the collapse year, which at this point was was kind of a while ago, it was eight seasons ago, but the Orioles showed up that last season with every intention to sink us and keep us out of the playoffs and they accomplished that and you you just don't see that mentality anymore so it just complicates the the wild card races well i i feel like seattle is trying because i i know we just talked about earlier how we're not really doing heroes and zeros this this uh this show but seattle pretty much almost swept the rays who are in the wild card race and they were going to be my zero tonight, and I know I I really try hard not to talk about them since obviously most people that listen uh, really don't care about it. But they should not be losing that hard to the Mariners. Like like I want to say like there was almost walk offs. Like it's horrible. Like we only won today in in not in basically a walk off. It, it was horrible, the worst. So or maybe it was a walk off. I didn't get to watch it because I was working, but. But yeah, they almost swept us at home. The worst. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, it is winding down and you guys are in a in a spot right now and the Indians I thought were going to kind of put some distance on the Twins, but I, I think they're 3 games back again. So that's going to be a horse race right up until the very end. Twins aren't going to, you know, take no for an answer and then Oakland is trying to have something to say about it. So it's it's going to be a three-way race at this point. And mm-hmm. So anyway, getting into this uh, Philly series, um, we had won six out of our last seven coming into it. And this Phillies team is really a team right now that's kind of in a similar boat as the Red Sox. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs in a little while, but they've kind of been built for the postseason the last couple of years and just have kind of failed to kind of, you know, live up to expectations and, some are questioning whether or not Gabe Kapler will be back, especially since uh, Charlie Manuel has kind of been brought back as like a you know a, a an extra bench coach, if you will. Um, but they did show up and and took the first game. And do either of you have the game on right now? I do. Yep. I can't I can't stream it cuz uh it screws with my uh Skype but is it is it over yet or no 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 52 Oh 52 So they've added no a run they've added a run okay Yeah yeah, yeah. JB, JBJ's about right now So I guess what I'm getting at is Philly kind of showed up and the Red Sox lost their momentum from an offensive standpoint pitching hasn't been terrible i mean you can't really complain about it it's certainly been a lot worse but the bats just couldn't uh you know 
come up with a whole lot this series. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, you know, I bet against the Red Sox last night. I just, Aaron Nola is having a down year, and he's capable of more, but you just have to go into that game expecting that Nola is going to be better than uh, Brian Johnson. And, um, you know, the, <clears throat> you give up three runs and lose. I think you're right, Terry. Ultimately, it comes down to the to the offense, especially when you have the best offense and it's the strength of your team. But uh, that's the way the season's gone. And, um, you know, not surprised. And I'm not surprised tonight. Um, so, you know, um, an underachieving Phillies team until – you know, for most of the season, uh, it's kind of funny that they're the team that, that kind of puts you away here, but that seems seemingly what's going to happen. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to get the uh, standings up right now. Uh, there are several games out of the division to the Braves, so um, they're hopefully looking to uh, slide into a wild card spot, but... Um, I will be interested to see what what happens with with Kapler because I read an article a week or so ago and the Phillies fan base has just never liked him from the start and when they spend all that money to bring in uh, Bryce Harper they bring in uh, JT Real Muto and just kind of flounder. Uh, I don't know, and I'm just, is that where Joe Girardi could potentially end up next year? It's a prime seat. You're not coming into it. Yeah, no, I mean, they have it. I mean, look, of the available guys that want to manage, that's going to be a good job because of the, you know, the talent with Hopkins and, and Bryce and Nola and go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, what about, I mean, the Cubs haven't re-signed Joe Madden. Could you see Joe Madden sliding into a position like that and what he could do with a team that's built up like the Phillies? That's a very intriguing point, Liz, and Joe Madden doesn't care what the Philly fans are going to think of him, so, um, and he works great with young talent. I mean, what manager has been better over the last decade? I, he's not, he's not, I mean, I, I don't know, like, uh, there's a couple of Cubs people that follow me on Twitter. I mean, that's odd. I don't keep up with National League anything at all very much, to be perfectly honest. But I, I see what they say, and basically all of them want to get rid of Madden, which to me is crazy. But, I mean, I get it. I mean, maybe they need fresh blood in there. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to find anybody better that's available. I mean, I guess if they got Gir- if Girardi would be an option for them. You know, maybe he comes into the Cubs and then Madden goes over to the Phillies and then what will happen, maybe not next year, but in 2021, he'll win them a World Series. And that will that will pain me more than anything else, because particularly since the one World Series the Rays went to, Madden was the manager and the freaking Phillies beat them. And that was just a bunch of crap. So that'd be really... Ah, bittersweet. I I could never hate Madden. Okay, the game's over. 5-2. But but that that would be pretty wild. I I could see that happening. But if they get rid of Kapler and Madden doesn't get a contract, he's going to be the hottest, I think, manager available, unless they're really looking for fresh blood. But I 
I don't know. I, I don't think they're that ty- that type of team. I think they're going to look for. They tried Kapler, and at this point, they're going to try a proven person. And for God's sake, Madden has won Manager of the Year multiple times in National and American League. Who else are you going to get? Yeah, and last year was the first year that he didn't make the NLCS. Uh, you know, in four years, they went three times straight. And, you know, won the 2016 World Series, of course. And I really put most of it on Theo Epstein, you know, as to what their struggles have been. Just a lot of really questionable signings and it really hasn't gotten the best value. And it's kind of stunning considering he did build a good franchise basically from scratch. So credit to him there. And, I know he kind of had a tug of war with Lucchino at times with the Red Sox, but still made some uh, brilliant decisions in Boston. And um, but I kind of I don't blame Madden for anything. I, I think he's really, you know, making the the most out of what he has. And I, I get the impression that there's a little bit of um, friction between Joe Madden and the Cubs front office. And I, I think that's ultimately what's gonna you know, get, you know, basically drive him out of Chicago. But, but Philly is definitely an interesting uh, landing spot. And I'm sure some others will uh, come available. But um, getting back to the Red Sox, though, before we lose everyone, um, Rick Porcello kind of seemingly turned a corner too little too late, which kind of pisses me off more. But um, I I don't know. Is he is he still gone from the Red Sox altogether after this season? Because the the sale thing is o- ominous, and we'll we'll get to that you know in depth in a little bit. But I, I just don't. I it's a tough call, <laughs> really. I think he's gone. Unless he takes a one-year prove-it deal, and that's you know you're looking like one year eight million dollars. I just think that there's going to be some other opportunity out there for him. Um, and I I honestly think that the Red Sox have to find a spot or two and get younger. And that spot in the rotation seems like a prime candidate, given the fact that he's on an expiring contract. Uh, the the problem becomes who do you promote within, and I don't think there's a real good answer to that. But the way he pitched this year, um, the way that they failed to offer him a contract in the off season when he went into the media and said, "Look, I'd like to, f- to sign a team friendly deal," and they were like, "Nah, no thanks." I, it just doesn't set up to be a friendly exchange in the off season, and for me, he's gone. Liz, any thoughts on Porcella? Uh, I mean, honestly, no. I mean, I have to go with whatever you guys are feeling. You definitely have your finger on the pulse of that way more than I do. And, I mean, Porcello has just been, like, meh. There were times that he seemed strong and he at least was going to be, you know, pretty good. But there's other times that he's not. And and uh, I, I think he's just, he's had his chance. You know, and he's not been, you know, what he was when he got that Cy Young. So uh, I think letting him go is is what's going to happen. But 
like I said, I, I I'll go with whatever you guys think at this point. Honestly, I honestly think but, it's. Oh, go ahead. Well, well, no. What I did want to ask though is, I mean, the Red Sox are typically, you know, signers of free agent. Like they sign big contracts. That's what they do. That's their thing. I mean, who's going to be available next year? Like, who would they pick up in his place? You think? Well, if they go big, uh, you know, Garrett Cole and Madison Bumgarner are two big names and you could make a case because close to I don't know 80 to 100 million could come off the books you know if Mookie's not back if JD's not back um Porcello comes off the books uh Panda um so mm-hmm. there there's an easy 80 million right there so it just depends on how they uh prioritize it um we're very lefty heavy in our rotation. Bumgarner's a lefty, so I just I don't know how aggressive they would be with him. And um, and then I'd love Garrett Cole. I mean, he's kind of like a John Lester guy. Kind of, he's quietly an ace, and I know he's leading MLB with strikeouts this year, but he has a very good record of durability and can just kind of hold down the the number one or two spot, but. But, I mean, teams could very easily get into a bidding war with him, you know, so it's tough to say. And with Porcello specifically, at the moment, I think it's 50-50. If he goes on a run, he's probably got, I don't know, six or seven starts left by the end of the year. Um, if most of those are good starts, then I'd probably lean to what Jeremy said, the the one-year prove-it deal. Um and that would make a nice bridge to Tanner Houck and Brian Mata. I do have Mata's numbers up right now. He's pitching with Double A Portland, and he's actually been getting shelled since early July. So um, he wouldn't be up until the second half of next year, at the earliest. I, I would say Houck is a little more um, closer, but. But if those guys are ready by, say, 2021, then I think Porcello serves a good purpose there. And I'm not sure I want Porcello back. I want there to be a solution better than him. So it just depends on how creative the front office is going to get. And so that's my read on it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think the big part is who's going to be making the decision. True. Absolutely. Right. And I think we're going to get into that. Um, Dombrowski already traded Porcello away from a team he was operating on and showed no desire to to sign him to a long-term deal. Trades him to the Boston Red Sox. Kind of ironically, years later, he signs here and he becomes uh, the guy running the team with Porcello back on the team. Um, th- you know, I will I will say this about Porcello because I don't want to like hate on Rick Porcello. Inevitably, his run is going to end, and I think you know we're in probably the last two weeks of it, regardless, because I think they'll come up with a fake injury or something so that they get other guys innings. But he did win a World Series. He was selfless. During that run, he won a Cy Young. Uh, he pitched a ton of innings. 
over the life of that contract. The contract was criticized at the time because he hadn't thrown a pitch yet for the Red Sox. And to me, he met or exceeded the contract despite the fact that in his walk year he sucked. So when I look back on the Rick Porcello era in Boston five, ten years from now, I'll have probably only fond thoughts of what he accomplished in this uniform. Yeah, you know, it it did have its ups and downs, but, you know, the Cy Young year was nice, and he did, he was kind of a cornerstone of, of last year's rotation as well. So, like I said, I think his future is more short-term, you know, even if he is back next year. But, anyway, you mentioned Dombrowski, and um, there was an article from... Uh, USA Today's Bob Nightingale and Dombrowski uh, talked about his uh, future for the the first time today and he didn't want to get too much into the notion that he was on the hot seat but he was asked uh, specifically that and he cites that you know three straight division titles and then a World Series title last year um, you know, so he's, he, on paper, he, he does have a successful record here in Boston. The one thing that was, uh, notable to me, uh, in that article was apparently Dombrowski had a conversation with Bill Belichick, uh, of the Patriots and there was a topic of, whether or not he should have turned over the roster a little bit. Like maybe keeping the band together from last year wasn't really the way to go. And Dombrowski admitted that that could be something that that should be looked at going forward and that you want to have guys in the roster that maybe haven't been to a World Series or that are hungry and you you need that element in every clubhouse to kind of keep things fresh and I've kind of touched on that and uh, John Henry a couple of months ago I can't remember was at a press conference but was speaking to um, some of the beat writers and said yeah maybe maybe you do need you know new guys every year and and that that's the way to go but is it too little too late at this point for Dombrowski? All right. Well, on the first point, I call a total and utter bullshit. Who, who has he kept that has underachieved that was uh, either movable or expiring? Pierce? Okay, fine. You know, we'll call Pierce a mistake. We've already talked about sale exhaustively, but, you know, okay, Sale is going to be here. I mean, what? Go, go through. the He extended Xander. He's having a career year. Devers is having a career year. Uh, you know, who who else? Second base has been a revolving door because Pedroia is hurt. Uh, Mookie's not been an MVP candidate. He's been okay. Bradley Jr.'s been what we expect. Benintendi's underachieved slightly, but he's not going anywhere. Vasquez... Leon, same battery. They're both going to be there next year probably, although Leon sucks and shouldn't be. Your starting rotation was going to be some assimilation of sale price 
Porcello and Evaldi until Evaldi got hurt and Sale is now hurt. That's such a cop out to me. Who are you not? Who who? So what's the one thing I haven't talked about? The bullpen. You you built a total trash bullpen. Dombrowski, that has been your mo for thirty years. Your downfall was your failure to build a bullpen. And what happens is 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 you know Sale is ends up being hurt and and they don't have the depth with to deal with prices you know every six week bs uh the lack of depth with Wright getting suspended and brian johnson getting hurt and that and velasquez not being what he was everyone else was under contract it, it's, it's just a total cop-out to me and of course he's going to reach for the low-hanging fruit because the failure is um born first and foremost always on the players um, and then I think the, 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 the person to blame is Dombrowski, but I don't think it has to do with some failure to turn over a bullpen. And look, everyone that knows anything about managing people and sports teams should probably call Belichick and get his advices. But Belichick is, is, is running a 53 man roster with an eight man practice squad with 45 active players on game day and a cap that is the most confusing monetary system in the world and he does it, he, it no nfl team maintains more than 60 percent of their roster as a result it's just the way it is and the amount of draft picks that are made by a team every year and then make the roster the next year is you know typically a minimum of six which is right there more than 10 for, you know it's like close to 20 percent of your whole roster just right there so uh, Belichick's the best. There's he should be on the Lombardi. It should be the Lombardi and Belichick trophy. But I don't know that that advice applies to a baseball team. This team was doomed by Dombrowski's failure to build depth in the pitching staff, starting with the bullpen. Period. I think the the rest of it's a total cop out. Well, like I said, you know, they, they were just citing the conversation he had with Belichick. I, I have the exact quote right here. It's a quick one. He goes, we had, this is Dombrowski. He goes, we had the thought process of why not bring this group back together that won 119 games and a World Series, Dombrowski said. But I guess if you had to look back, maybe you need a player or two that are hungry to win again or win for the first time. And there was a, it wasn't exactly a quote, but Nightingale spoke that uh, Dombrowski in hindsight might've taken a different approach to 2019. So, I mean, a couple of the things, but go ahead. I mean, he's basically saying, Hey, hands in the air. Don't blame me. I just brought back a 119-win team. You know, couldn't have been me. You know, maybe it's Cora. Cora's managing a 119-win team differently. Well, it says I he, mean, that's, that, that's, to me, what's happening there. He says, And by the way, player or two, how about Chavis? How about you promoted Chavis, and he was on pace to potentially be the rookie of the year there for a while. So what are you talking about? You, a player or two, you, had, you added Chavis. Well, I, Marco Hernandez uh, coming into tonight was hitting 321. You added him uh, uh, six weeks ago, and then you demoted him when he was hitting 340. So a player or two young that haven't won a World Series that are hungry, like what are you talking about, Dombrowski? Yeah, I, I and I feel I'm playing devil's advocate for the most part because I I, I would like a different. 
person calling the shots next year, but but I I don't know. I mean, I it sounds like he's speaking more from a, a free agency perspective. And when Chavis got brought up, he was a spark plug for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, Hernandez, you know, in a, in a lesser role, but still, you know, provided a, a burst of energy and, and helped win at least a few games in there. Um, so I don't know. You know, you, you add a couple of those players, maybe a free a free agent. Maybe you move out Bradley and then just – Sign someone on a one-year deal that, you know, can kind of provide another spark. Just kind of, just kind of change the flow of it up a little bit. But I really don't know what he could have done differently, other than not bring back Pierce. You know, because that would have freed up six million. Um, and then maybe instead of bringing back Evaldi, maybe you go get one of those bullpen arms instead. And I, I've never been a proponent of that anyway, but we weren't going to trade anybody from the young core, like you said. I mean, Devers and, and Benintendi weren't going anywhere. I wish they explored, uh, you know, trading Mookie, but they didn't. And, you know, so I'm, I'm not really blaming them for that, but it, it would have been an outside-the-box you know, move at the time. Our pitching rotation, we needed all of those guys, you know, regardless of whether we thought Velasquez, Wright, uh, or Brian Johnson could have played bigger roles than they ultimately did. It just, you know, we were still handcuffed by a big payroll and, I just think I think we brought back the the wrong two guys and should have I think a smarter GM would have taken that you know 25 million that they had to play with and and prioritized it differently. And I don't know if it would have been the difference, but we didn't get much out of Avaldi or Pierce this season. I mean, no no one with the brands could disagree with that. I, I I think you and I both said in the offseason we would draw a line in the sand at two years. I think one thing uh, I, I one of us mentioned was maybe a third-year vesting that's based on health, like number of innings or number of starts in the first two years. And he would have lost that right away. <laughs> he, exactly right, which means yet he'd be walking into a walk year next year, and that would make him potentially tradable if he pitches healthy in September, but instead... We've got three more years, which you and I were roundly against. Um, so, look, it is what it is. I, I, based on the Mass Live article, which I did read, um, which is short and sweet if you want a quick read, it, you know, um, to me it was classic deflection. Uh, I love how he brought up Belichick, which always, you know, gets people in Boston, you know, oh, Belichick, oh, what do you, what do you say? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 well... You know, it's smoke and mirrors. He's trying to deflect the attention elsewhere. You know, don't blame me. I brought a 119-win team back. Yeah, well, you didn't build a bullpen. And that. And by the way, it was a miracle you were able to come it, overcome it last year. So, I, look, the one thing I, I want in my leadership is accountability. If you if you have the ability to, to be comfortable enough in your skill set to get up there and say, this one's on me, my fault. 
that shows, uh, you know, a, a retrospect, uh, an insight into your own performance that gives me hope that you're going to overcome the current, you know, shortfall. So again, we'll use Belichick. First person to say, I didn't coach well enough, I didn't have the right guy on the roster, blah, 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 is Belichick. And that's because he evaluates himself just like he evaluates anybody else. So that's what, I, if I would use Belichick in this situation, that's how I would use him. Brad Stevens, Boston Celtics head coach, same thing. I, you know, I didn't put the guys in a position to win. This is why, reason one, two, and three, I have to be better. Um, you know, Bruce Cassidy also takes uh, the, 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 the head guy for the Bruins. Um, another guy who will sit up there and say, look, you know, just the, the line pairings didn't work tonight. You know, whatever may be the case. Not Dombrowski. Not Dombrowski. Hey, guys, I brought the same team back that won a World Series. Don't blame me. It's a cop-out. I hate it. And, and to me, the more we talk about it and after that, the fact that I've had a chance to read the article Terry's, Terry's citing, uh, he has to go because there's no accountability. Well, that's just it. Um, and I was going to kind of wrap our thoughts with this by um, just talking about his contract situation real quick. It does expire at the end of the 2020 season, so he is signed through next year. There have not been any talks of an extension thus far, and um, Chris Cotillo, uh, you know, who wrote this article, also writes that um, there's been no vote of confidence either, you know, from the, the Red Sox front office. So, it's open to interpretation right now, but uh, John Henry did say coming into this season that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to let your general manager or president of ops, whatever you want to call him, uh, to go into his lame duck season without a contract. So it's it's going to be really interesting but the the one thing you know I've taken notice here is that Dombrowski is is talking to the media like he expects he should be back and he feels like he's done an adequate enough job you know over his entire tenure here that he should be back is how I read into it I, well, I, I agree with that last part. Um, I think by their inaction, it's pretty telling. And the way this season's gone, I mean, it's kind of models, um, ironically, Porcello's walk year. Uh, you know, where you, you go into the year where you expect to be extended and you just don't perform. And it's like, well, you know, recency bias. You know, we're not, you know, not going to sign you if, if this is the year, you know, you're your contract year is where you're going to suck. Now with Dombrowski, he doesn't, you know, affect the cap. The Red Sox have more money than anything. So cutting him loose this year and paying him his salary for next year is not an issue in my opinion, in any way. Um, and I think the problems facing this team don't fit within Dombrowski's uh, MO, which is building a bullpen and then, you know, building depth in a rotation, uh, including building depth in the organization through the draft and the international pool. That's just not Dombrowski's skill set. And so I don't, I don't know, it's, 
coming into 2020, I don't want him having to address those three things on an expiring deal. It just doesn't make any sense. So I, I, I'd say I put as a percentage that he's gone at like 90%. That's high. I hope, and I hope you're right. I, I'm probably, I'm probably above 50%, but, um, but let me also say this, you know, you kind of touched on some things there. Um, Dombrowski isn't a modern-day GM. He's a, a 90s or early 2000s GM. He just doesn't have the analytical way of thinking. Um, also, himself, and I think the Red Sox front office and ownership as a whole, they do a very poor job in identifying value and an equally poor job in identifying risks. They take on a lot of high-risk type stuff, and they get burnt on it. And then they look at a guy like, I can't, I hate to keep going to Evaldi, but, you know, he's one of them. Maybe Porcello could, could kind of fall into that category as well, where they just don't get great value overall. And for you know, for the money that's actually spent, and so with all these big decisions and a lot of these missteps, it just makes me hope more and more that that he won't be back. I mean, I haven't said very much in this. Because, I was going to uh, make sure frankly, you. Were... I don't. I don't. I don't have much of an opinion. I mean, I. I mean, I'm glad to let you guys talk about it because. It's just not something that I keep up with, you know, much. But, I mean, do you think that having that money and having that ability and being able to take that risk financially is almost like part of their downfall? Like other teams that don't, or excuse me, that feel like they have more of a financial constraint, you know, make, you know, more sound decisions in that market like they're not just going to haphazardly spend money on on players kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. That's an excellent point because I mean, the Rays have done pretty well with such a low payroll. The Brewers as of late are they they are the smallest market team in MLB, you know, with the the least amount of revenue and I ha- I don't have the standings up in front of me here, uh, you know, for the wild card in the, the National League. Yeah, the Brewers are. Yeah, because they don't okay. have a they don't have a TV deal, and it's just I was talking to uh, a Brewers podcaster about it over the winter, but um, basically until they do get a, a TV deal in place, they're they're going to be a, a small market team. I mean, that's why they only have two or three bona fide starters in their um, rotation year after year and then they kind of patchwork the rest of it together and they've made it work but you know it's you know it hasn't been you know it hasn't ultimately put them in a position to compete for a world series outside of last year yeah I think the Rays actually officially only have one real starter right now so I don't like what the hell is gonna happen to us but uh we'll see yeah historically they 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 do a lot with nothing or quote nothing hate to call you know players that are doing the best they can and doing pretty awesome you know given all their circumstances uh nothing but 
it uh it's gonna be an interesting end of the season <laughs> right and uh, i guess to kind of bridge this segment to the chris sale talk l- let me pose this question before we get completely into sale was his signing a dombrowski motivated signing or more of an ownership motivated signing because i think in this case it was ownership Well, in my opinion, I think it was a left and a right hand reaching at the same time because there's no way this ownership group doesn't approve a contract of that size. So to me, the answer is likely both. I just feel like there was a public relations aspect of it. You know, if they if they botch it and, and he has a great season and then gets away or whatever – I think they wanted to avoid that, though they would have had the money anyway, knowing what's coming off the books. But, and I heard Tom Warner, you know, say it throughout the off season that this is a, a big priority as well as Mookie, you know, up until the the Trout signing. And so I just kind of, I kind of put that one on on ownership a little bit. But I mean, Dombrowski obviously had their full backing anyway and but anyway so let, let's uh let's just kind of get into it here uh i have some quotes to kind of open up this segment as my tablet freezes um there was a bradford article that summed up the uh the entire press conference uh pretty well and uh, so here are some quotes uh, from Chris Sale when he met with the media. Uh, was it yesterday? Upon returning uh, from his uh, consultation with Dr. James Andrews, who, of course, is the world-renowned uh, surgeon for you know Tommy John. I think he does some other athletic-related uh, surgeries as well. But uh, he was asked if. Um, if the injury had uh, anything to do with the uh, shoulder in- injury from last year, and Sale says, "quote Not from where I sit. This kind of uh, is one of those things that came up. No real rhyme or reason. Like I said, we're obviously going to look at some stuff and see if there's anything uh, that I was doing. I'm a pitcher. These kind of things happen." And then he was asked uh, if if the injury was a possibility of uh, just a simple change of his mechanics. And Sale goes on to say, quote, I think we've got some things to look at as a whole and try to figure out if there was something I was doing different. But if anything, I felt like I was getting back to normal the last few starts, which was encouraging. Then this happens. You know, like I said... I go through today. Once today is done, we get to tomorrow and do that thing. I'm just trying to slow this down as much as possible. I want. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I don't want to rush anything. I want to make sure what's going on is right and to get this thing ready to go. And then finally, uh, the last uh, quote here. 
uh, they asked him how confident he was about coming back in 2020, and Sale says, quote, I'm very confident. I know who I am and what I can do on the baseball field. When I have all of my tools and I know what we have in this training room, our doctors, our trainers, our staff, the support from my teammates, my family, my friends, I have no doubts in my mind. So here's the problem I have. In those first two quotes, there were no solutions whatsoever. And then in the last quote about how confident he is when he returns in 2020, he's supremely confident. And he's gone through four straight August and September's and had some pretty bad issues, especially the last two years. So I'm no more optimistic, you know, despite the fact he's got no tear in his elbow than I was at any point this year about how deep he can go. I just, I don't feel like he can do it. And you can talk about load management all you want, that Alex Cora preached it all all off season. And how many times did we see Sale an inning or two too far into a game when he should have just come out? So it's just the same BS rhetoric to me. And I he's going to have to have a good pitching staff around him if we're going to be successful, because if we're pinning it all on Chris Sale, we might be in the same exact spot next year. I Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I thought that they should have traded Sale when he had a little bit of value. I know I talked about it before, and I was just trying to see because I – Again, he. I think he's in the National League somewhere. I think they should have traded him for whatever they could have gotten just to dump the salary or do whatever they're going to do and then go after Dallas Keigel. Like, and not let Keigel just sit there because, I mean, he was a, clearly better than Sale. Like, maybe now he's not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. But, but at the time that... That they signed him, Kygo was a better choice in my opinion. Well, they would have if they were going to trade him. It would have been this off season, and I just think his value would would have been down. I mean, coming off a shoulder injury, I just if I'm another GM, I'm thinking, well, geez, that's a red flag, you know. They 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 could trade him at any point. It doesn't, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that matters. Like, at any point in a contract, if they can find a team that'll take him, they could trade him, no? Well, they could. I, I mean... Whether they would or not is another conversation, but but they could do whatever they, whatever they wanted. I mean, Dombrowski got really lucky. He signed Prince Fielder to a bad contract in Detroit, and I think a season and a half into it, he... Uh, found a dance partner in the, the Texas Rangers and got out of it and got Ian Kinsler back in the trade. But I just think there's too many red flags with sale right now. And the Red Sox would probably have to eat money because the value of it is around $30 million. I think it's the average AAV is like $27 million or something like that. So well, now, but before, but when we originally talked about it, we talked about it before they re-signed him. And if they wouldn't have done that and added more baggage, because now he's just baggage. 
you know? Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. I mean, I mean they would yeah. have had to have traded him in, in December, you know, and yeah. coming off a shoulder injury, I just, I don't know. I mean, I if anything, I just think they should have let him play out this season and then evaluated it then. Because if they don't sign him, you know, if they stayed away from signing him last March, obviously the plan would be different at this point. I mean, he's out for the year. And then Garrett Cole and Madison Bumgarner are free agents. So maybe they go that route. And I would have been all for Garrett Cole mm-hmm. had that been the case. I would have been screaming not to sign sale and go after one of the healthier guys. But it, you know... But it didn't happen. We're we're stuck with sale for you know uh, f- five more years after this. If he makes it through, who who knows? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a problem. There's no question about it. They're going to have to find a way to address the throwing program. Innings in the spring training, innings per month, innings per start, you know, whatever may be the case. They can't just put him out there and ask him to throw 115 because, you know, he breaks down. And this time it's, you know, a little more serious where he's done now, done for the season. Well, let me ask you this. I did a live stream on it, I think, yesterday or the day before. I think two nights ago, actually hypothetically say we're tied right now for the division lead with the Yankees. So say we're in a dog fight and we're going for the division lead. And then you find out two days ago that you've lost Chris sale for the season. Isn't the tone different? Because right now we've, we're already defeated. You know, we we're focusing on next year anyway, but if you lose him in a heated division race, isn't that more painful and doesn't that add a little bit more frustration to whether they made the right call or not? Of course. How could it not? I think so. And and nobody's really talking about that right now. And and maybe that's the case next year. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to assume Price is going to have a better year. It might not be a great year, but this is the worst year of his career, so I'm assuming it'll go up a little bit. Um, Erod, hopefully he's about the same. On paper, his numbers don't look great, but that's because he's had some really bad starts, like giving up six, seven, eight runs, and it's kind of elevated the ERA when he I think he's pitched fairly well so you got him in price I'm gonna say Evoldi for now despite how bitter I am about him not just being looked at as a reliever so those are your those are your three and then you got sale so I just feel like like I said everybody has to pitch better around him or it's just going to be painful, and maybe Tanner Houck, maybe he could be the, you know, the secret weapon for next year, because if he has a good spring training, I, I think he'll probably get optioned and then could come up as early as May, and I know I said that all last winter about Feltman and Lakins, and neither one of them, Feltman hasn't even 
gotten promoted from double A and, and Lakens has bounced back and forth. So it's just so hard to gauge when a prospect is going to be ready. But I just, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. And, and the sale situation complicates that immensely. Totally agree. I mean, if he's healthy, you're less likely to spend assets. If he's not, even if it's, let's say, for his first 10 starts, you know, you're going to have to potentially add someone, probably from outside the organization, and that's a problem for for various reasons, obviously. Oh, go ahead, Liz. No, no, I was just going to say, do you think they're willing to just potentially eat that money? Like, no. since they're dropping all those other contracts. Like, not right away, but... I mean... No. The, I yeah. Know. He's got, like, I would say, next year, whatever happens. And, and he could have Tommy John. I mean, he does have influ- uh, inflammation in the elbow. So, uh, he's probably not going to have it this, you know, off season, But maybe next July, you know his condition worsens and and then he does need it. So take that exact scenario. If that happens in July, he's out until probably at least the following August and September. And he would probably only come back in August or September of the next year if we're in playoff contention. So next year's the first year of the five. Then, you know, He'll be recovering for most of the second year of it, and then he'll have years three, four, and five left. Or none of that happens at all, and he just can't. He just can't stay on the field. I mean, I think I don't think they would make a rash decision on cutting him or or whatever until at least the fourth year, the fourth out of five. I, I just. It could potentially be just a painful few years, and so I I, I don't think anything's going to happen early, though, Liz. To to answer your question, so so they'll just keep. I mean, barring any like injury where he's got to go through surgery and rehab and all that kind of stuff, they'll just keep parading him out there. I mean, just because that's what they have to do. Well, I mean, he could go on and off the DL. I mean. I mean, if he's going out there and giving up six spots every time, I mean, they'll have to do phantom injuries or something. I just, the floor is really low here, you know, and the ceiling could still be high in in some spots. You know, maybe last year he, he was lights out through the first three months and that was good enough. You know, we built up enough of a lead and everybody else was able to tread water. So, um, you know, that speaks to everybody, you know, pitching, needing to pitch well around him anyway. But here's another question too. The bullpen is not resolved. You know, we're still, we're still going to go into next winter needing at least one reliever and Jeremy privately you said it has to be at least two so we've got that issue but I think the rotation is the bigger issue at the moment despite the fact we definitely need a couple of 
of relievers. And, and I guess the point I'm making here is we're just completely screwed right now from an overall pitching standpoint. Just so much has to be addressed. Yeah, it's two in the bullpen, and one of them has to be a closer. And then I think you're also correct in the fact that at the end of the day, um, it's it's been a top-down pitching problem, um, which is what makes it so frustrating because the offense is as good as, you know, as any offense in baseball. Um, and then with sales inconsistency and you don't know who's going to be the fourth and fifth starter, certainly as we sit here right now with the anticipation that Porcello's gone, I mean, you know, uh, I don't trust anyone else within the organization, so I guess that means they're going to go back out in the market and spend some money. Yeah. Uh, I would personally do it first on the bullpen, second on the on the uh, rotation, but it's something that probably needs to be addressed 100%. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, and don't forget, well, Porcello could be gone, so I I don't know. It's just a really ominous, uh, you know, situation anyway. So um, I guess, you know, we'll just kind of, you know, kind of keep tabs. Sales going to be shut down for four to six weeks, and then we'll be reevaluated, but with no tear. I mean, I'm not expecting any major developments to take place. I think worst case, he just gets completely shut down until, you know, a little before spring training. But, but oh, and Price is coming back. I guess I should note that before we move on. He pitched a bullpen session uh, yesterday on Tuesday. He's scheduled for one more tomorrow. And then I guess the plan is to, to put him back in. So, um, yeah, I hope they don't, you know, overuse him or take any unnecessary risks because we certainly can't. Um, I'd, I'd leave him on the disabled list for the end of the year. Yeah. Get him healthy, have him come back ready to roll next in 2020 when the button gets hit reset and they fix some of the issues. And, and there's just no upside in him throwing innings at this point. There's just none for what? It's, he's been around forever. Exactly. He doesn't need to learn how to pitch. He doesn't need to even really pitch. If he's in his groove, if, if he's in his routine, coming out of spring training, he's healthy and ready to go, he's going to be real good next year. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of, 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 of a phantom extension of the disabled list. Yeah. That. And he's going to be 34, I think, or he might have turned 34 in August. So that means at some point next season, that's his age 35. So he's getting up there, and I don't think I don't think we need to get too bent out of shape over a season that's lost anyway. So um, tomorrow, kind of a unique situation. The Kansas City Royals come back to resume a game in the 12th inning and could potentially be a five-minute game. I Sparkman will start for the – or pick pick up where they left off for the Royals, and the Red Sox are going with Eduardo Rodriguez. So, I mean, unless both offenses are completely flat, I, I think Erod is in there for the duration, and I, I don't know – how Kansas City plans to approach that. It could be the same for Sparkman, but what are you guys' thoughts on this kind of weird situation? 
You go, Jeremy. Well, I was going to defer to you, Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, any time these games are split like this, I just think it's stupid. Like, honestly, it, it should just... I get it, like, there shouldn't be any, there can't be, you know, any ties, really, like, by design with baseball, but just treat it that way. I feel like bringing, bringing teams together for, like, half games or, or whatever is just ridiculous, and uh, unless, unless there is a playoff thing, like, let's say that the Royals and the Red Sox were, like, tied for a wild card position or something like that, which we know is not the case, this game should just be should just be garbage. It, sh- it shouldn't even be played. It's done. I actually so I would handle. Uh, let ahead, me sir. just say I, I misspoke. Uh, Erod will not be the starter. He's going to start the um, Padres series uh, the following day, which begins a West Coast swing. But I just wanted to correct my mistake there. But uh, go ahead on your take on the game. If I'm Major League Baseball, I put this at the end of the year. And if you got to replay it because one team or the other has an effect on the standings, then fine. If you don't, you leave it at the end of the year, you cancel it on game 162, and, and you just let it be. Um, and they've done that in the past, but for whatever reason, maybe because it is the Red Sox and there was an anticipation that it would matter that they're doing it now. But, I mean, to me, it's it sucks for the Royals because they got to travel for, for what, like you said, could be literally like, five pitches but but you know i mean i guess they want you know they want they want the game to be concluded and um you know i guess they're flying them back in for 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 that to happen makes it makes very little sense to me but i mean plus two like i mean obviously the red sox have no issue with attendance or anything like that but I mean, how many people are showing up for this? Not that that has any bearing on the MLB's decision, but what's that going to look like? Like, are people showing up to watch this? Is it even going to be on TV because it was a planned off day? Like, I, I don't it'll know. be on it'll be on Nesson. I, I don't know how many people are going to show up. I would assume that they open open up the stadium, offer concessions, so that's how they make their money, and they let people come in and, and see it. See it finish. I think I don't tickets, think you're going to see a real big crowd though. Tickets are a dollar, I think, and then all concessions are also a dollar, I think, aside from maybe beer. But um, oh, well, that's a big deal. Yeah, so they're trying to make it somewhat appealing, I guess. I mean, if I was in the neighborhood, I mean, I would go. But I mean, nobody's coming down from Central Maine to <laughs> watch a potentially well, five minute game. You're you're closer than us, Terry. So, you know. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. <laughs> Commute. <laughs> I guess. I still haven't been. To, well, you know, I did go to that Dodgers game, didn't I? Yeah. I haven't been with my girlfriend yet, so we'll try to sneak off to a game. We we just like to hang out, and I like to socialize with fans while I'm there. And I usually try to find the away fans. And in July, it was fun because the Dodgers were there, and so and. Um, Dave O'Brien spoke tonight that the Dodgers has been the team that's traveled the best, you know, to Fenway, and there were tons of them. It, it almost felt like it was, I don't know, probably a 60-40 split, 60% Red Sox fans, and it was kind of fun, and none of them really, um, you know, were bitter about the World eager. Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah so... Well- 
Well, well, when you got to think about the cities in comparison, the socioeconomics of L.A. and Boston are pretty similar. So, I mean, as far as median household income and all these things that we don't want to get into. So it makes sense that they would travel. They don't go there much. So why not? I mean, that's a treat for them. You know, I was hanging out in the baseball tavern with the the guy I was at the game with, and and there was a group of uh, Dodger fans trying to order some drinks, and I was talking to them, and they said it was cheaper for them to fly out of Los Angeles into Boston and watch a World Series game at Fenway than they could have at uh, Chavez Ravine. So uh, that was, I thought that was interesting. But uh, I mean, you probably got the celebrity appeal and things out there. I mean, that stadium, it, that, that's actually surprising only because doesn't that stadium hold like, I don't know, like 60 or 70,000? I mean, it's pretty old, but it's huge. It's in the upper 50s. Fenway is significantly smaller. Yeah, Fenway's at least 20,000 less, but there's probably a a little more standing room uh, tickets during the the playoffs. But but anyway, so I, I just find tomorrow's game interesting. I'm like, do the Royals, like, do they wear their uniforms on the plane? And then just run off the plane and play. <laughs> I mean, they're not they're not setting up shop, you know, for for a three game set. They're not getting hotel rooms, I don't think. So it's just kind of a, I'm, the logistics in this situation are interesting to me. But um, I'm just, they they probably flew in tonight. I mean, they were just in. Ba- I was just looking. They're they're in Baltimore. Oh, true. So yeah. Usually. Usually, you know, when uh, I don't know what time the game was, but I'm just looking at my MLB TV and it looks like they were playing Baltimore. Teams are going to leave and come in at like, you know, whatever, midnight, one in the morning. Because uh, I used to work at a host hotel like back in the day. So that's just the way that it was. Yeah. So they probably stay tonight and then leave after the couple of innings tomorrow and head to wherever they're going. So. Yeah, it just depends on if Baltimore, if this was a getaway day for them. If not, they were done. Uh, early so yeah but yeah. uh anyway we uh we're gonna have a reunion here for uh at least three games here with manny machado so we'll see if anybody gets spiked uh eduardo rodriguez versus chris paddock in the first game i know paddock uh for the padres has been a bit of a surprise. I mean, he's got a 3.44 ERA. Been pretty solid throughout the year, despite his uh, seven and six record. So I'm not sure what his background is. If he was projected to be a, a higher end pitching prospect, but he's uh, certainly, you know, basically locked down a, a you know a long term uh, rotation spot with them and. Rodriguez, arguably our best guy, so uh, it could be an interesting matchup against a team that's uh, trying to get themselves, it won't be this year, but they could uh, potentially just be one season away from uh, finally returning to the playoffs. I I honestly don't know what to expect from this series. Starting with this matchup, um, I will say this. 
this will be the death nail because the season started with just a tragic West Coast swing. Uh, they're back on the West Coast, uh, starting, like you said, with the Padres. Um, and I just don't see it ending well here. Um, I, I think they lose the series overall. Um, uh, it, we have a TBD on Sunday's afternoon game. I, this is the perfect fitting uh, to what's been a disappointing season, starting with the way they began the season on the West Coast. And, and that's how I see this happening. I'd be shocked, shocked if they came back from this uh, with any sort of momentum in the standings where we were talking in a week uh, or 10 days, uh, you know, and, and as we approach September and say, oh, we still have a chance. I just don't see it. Um, you know, obviously Erod's probably our best chance here. Um, and so if, if, if you're still holding out hope, you know, Matt's probably listening to this podcast right now, just all excited and thinking we're going to, rattle off 12 in a <laughs> row um and and he's probably all excited that erod gives us our best chance to win I, I just i don't with the fact that they can't travel today and so they got to play this thing tomorrow and then travel i just I, it all just sets up for failure based on what i've seen the entire season yeah, I mean the the bullpen uh, coming into yesterday had only given up uh, four runs in the last thirty innings. I think Kashner gave up. Well, they must have gave up two actually because they scored a fifth run when we started. So Kashner gave up a run and and um, someone else, whoever tried to close out the game, uh, also gave up a run. But we're we're in a decent groove right now as far as pitching goes, so I'm not too worried about that. Erod was lights out in his his last start. I think that was uh, let's see, seven and and one third uh, inning. So you know, one out into the eighth inning, he uh, lasted. So I mean, if you want to put stock into, like you said, that we don't play well out west, and that's certainly true. <laughs> Then maybe not, but I think our pitching is is in a good spot right now, and and we were hitting well before this Philly series. So, um, I'm not completely pessimistic, but I'm also operating under the mindset that the season's over anyway. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Uh, game two, Nathan Evaldi against uh, Denilson. I'm going to say that's LeMay. I'm going to give it the French uh, thing. I, I don't know how he pronounces that. I'm not admittedly not uh, up with the National League as much as I have been previously, but um, it says he's uh, coming back from uh, Tommy John and he does have a 395 uh, ERA uh, on the season so far. And uh, if he's looking for, uh, you know, a, a start to kind of break through, Nathan Avoldi is the perfect opponent for him. I expect nothing from Avaldi in the start. Nothing. Yeah, he couldn't, uh, I can't remember if it was the second or third inning, but he scuffled big time in his last start against 
uh, Baltimore, and I just I'm not an Evaldi guy when it comes to starting. He's got two pitches. He's got a fastball and he's got a cutter. You know how many guys in MLB right now are successful on only two pitches? I just there's no one, and he's shown us basically nothing. And I'll I'll put this game down as a loss for sure. Was uh, any thoughts on game two? Uh, not on game two directly. I mean, anytime there's these interleague things, like it's always kind of a toss up, particularly now when you've got two teams that aren't necessarily in contention for anything. Like I hate to say that, but, uh, but yeah, I think it could go either way. I mean, I'm always going to side with, with the home team a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's hard to say. I have no strong opinion either way on it. I, I think, They'll probably win one, and the Padres are going to take two. That's uh, perfectly reasonable. Do we... (laughs) I mean... I try to be as perfectly reasonable as possible. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we don't know who's going to pitch game three at this point. It is timed well enough for uh, Price to slot in there if he's throwing a side session on Thursday, which will probably only be 30 or 40 pitches, so... Um, I don't know if they go that route or not, but I think, I don't think the Red Sox get swept, but it's totally possible to only come out of it with one game. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And there's also a chance that Sunday turns into a bullpen game if Price is not ready, so. Um, Which is scary. With the way... Especially with Evaldi the day before, because, I mean, frankly speaking, Saturday could be a bullpen game. So, you know, duck, Red Sox fans, duck. (laughs) Absolutely. So, I guess... Just enjoy the late late night West Coast party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, Let's see, what are the times on these real quick? Sunday is 4.10 Eastern. 8.40 8.40 p.m. Eastern Saturday and uh, late start tomorrow at 10.10. So, uh, it's not tomorrow, it's Friday. Oh, Friday, Friday, excuse me, yeah. I'm so bad with the schedule. Um, yeah, so I don't know uh, how motivated I'll be at this point to, uh, to stay up that late to watch a semi-meaningless game, but I'll probably catch a few innings anyway. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? No. I think I'm good. Okay. All right. Uh, socks. Jeremy and I will be back <laughs> on uh, Sunday. I love the enthusiasm. Yeah. Here's, hey, by the way, Terry, Liz is still maintaining she's not a Red Sox fan, so that's all right. I'm not a Red Sox fan. I'm so not. <laughs> We've only had so 70 Freudian slips this season on the podcast, but that's fine. We'll uh, stick with that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Hey, I mean, good night, everyone. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday after we probably lose two out of three. Mm-hmm. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Episode 162 in the books. I honestly have nothing uh, to add. Um,. Dis- disappointing series with the Phillies 
And uh, we will be back, as Jeremy said, on Sunday. So enjoy the last couple of days of the work week and the weekend. If if you have kids, you're probably happy that school's almost starting. And uh, enjoy the last little bit of summer. Anyway, have a good one. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. Hi! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it?